Hi, my name is Kunal, and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. This morning from the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a very special guest joining us, who is a successful Silicon Valley venture-backed operator with five back-to-back exits to date, and is the current founder and managing partner of AI Sprouts. Please welcome Shuman Talukdar. Shuman, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Gunal. Thanks for having me. And how are things with you in light of COVID? Good. You know, we, we are all doing our best, you know, to stay sane and be grateful if we're healthy. Let's jump into the first question here, shall we? Sounds great. Tell me about yourself and your background and how it led you to the path of becoming a VC. Yeah, no, so I, I've had a kind of a windy journey here, definitely not a straight line sort of path. So I moved to the Valley back in the late 90s. So this was tail end of the first internet revolution, if you want to call it. And, you know, literally I was undergrad in college and was reading a lot of Wired magazine. At the time, a lot of the same information that we have today on the web that's easily available was actually not the same um, back in the late 90s. So anyway, so I moved, I moved to Silicon Valley in the late 90s after finished my undergraduate and had kind of like a typical sort of Valley job. I was an engineer. Actually, one of my first bosses was um, a gentleman who later became one of the founders of Siri. And But regardless, I, I moved out here because of everything that was happening and, uh, and wanted to be part of it. And uh, you know, that's basically been my kind of the consistent thing over the last 20 years. So as I moved here and I found out about how you know, innovation really takes place, I learned about this thing called you know, venture capital. And, uh, you know, for my undergraduate university, I went to Rice in Houston. There was actually a pretty good scene of, you know, venture capitalists that were in the area. And so I was fortunate enough to stumble into a couple of them, get to know them. And they really opened my eyes in terms of kind of like the impact that venture capital had in the economy and, you know, the role that the individuals can play in really bringing some, you know, breakthrough ideas to life. So in the back of my mind, I didn't really know like what the path to get in was, but it was something that I was always really interested in. And I just kind of pursued that vision through the rest of my you know, professional career. So it literally took me, you know, probably about 20, 20 years to get there, to be frank. But, you know, my, my, my path was basically, you know, after I'd done reasonably well as an operator, you know, as you mentioned, I had, you know, a number of back-to-back exits couple IPOs under my belt, I started to get involved with, you know, my friends who are starting to do, uh, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors or pursuits. And so I, so, you know, started to get involved with them, started to write, you know, a few checks here and there as an angel and uh, started to recognize that I sort of had a knack for finding not just interesting ideas, but having a sense for kind of the good people that would be the right leaders for those types of ideas. And that's, that's basically my path to venture. I became a good networker, you know, was able to convince people to let me get involved in their companies. People invited me to help them out, started to write some checks, you know, had a couple exits under my belt. 
And before you know it, you know, decided to start this fund and here you go. That's, uh, that's probably 20 years summarized. Uh, that's, that's quite an interesting background and, and you seem like quite a veteran in, in the industry. I mean, especially with the uh, five back-to-back exits that you've had. Yeah, you know, I would say that that was a result of like the last, you know, 10 years of the business cycle. I moved back to the Valley after finished my BA at Harvard and, you know, literally just was at the right place at the right time. There's a lot of interesting new companies that were, you know, starting to pop up working on SaaS, right? And leveraging the cloud. And so, you know, when you're at the right place at the right time, you're able to sort of stumble into interesting things. And if you work with good people, you get some good outcomes. And and that's basically was the story with these five companies that I, that I was able to get involved with. So Schumann, you're, you're currently the managing partner and founder of AI Sprouts. What is your ticket size around? And what is, you know, the fund's investment philosophy? Yeah, so basically, uh, AI Sprouts is a pre-seed fund. So we're looking to be either part of the first group of sort of institutional investors that invest in a venture or potentially be the only institutional investor that that invests in a venture. And uh, typically, right, you know, anywhere between 250K plus uh, per company. And the focus of the fund is basically companies that are applying machine learning. And, uh, you know, my story there is that, you know, back in you know 2014, and I had this epiphany that over time, it would just like everything else in software, it would actually get less expensive to write, you know, comp- uh, technology or write, uh, create products that are, you know, leveraging, if you want to call it, you know, deep learning and, and, and leveraging machine learning broadly. And so at some point, there's going to be companies that I could, I would start meeting that had a handful of founders, you know, were actually generating revenue, had traction, and you potentially be able to start investing in those companies at that stage. So that was kind of the, the, the premise of the fund. And after doing a bit of, you know, angel investing uh, into companies that kind of fit the thesis, I uh, decided that it was a, you know, a viable model to actually start investing at scale. And that's, uh, that was, that's how basically AI Sprouts uh, started. And so it's, uh, you know, it's this fund that right now we have, you know, a handful of co- companies that are part of the portfolio. They're all backed by, you know, amazing founders that have really great traction. We participated in rounds with, you know, other, uh, you know, well-known uh, investors that potentially have deeper pockets and, you know, have really good um, aspirations for what, what their outcomes can be. So that's that's a, a little bit about the fun. And, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you've been in the Valley for kind of the past 20 plus years uh, as a venture backed operator. Um, in, in your eyes, uh, what makes a company successful? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, I, would, I would kind of think about that phrase like, beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. And I think, uh, you know, I think people might give you different answers based on their experiences. But to me, you know, there's actually like three factors that have really kind of stayed consistent in terms of companies that I've seen be successful. So first, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. Like I think people are like super critical and um, all of the ventures that I've been with, their degree of success was directly correlated with the quality of the founding team. 
And, you know, quality had to do with, you know, their level of commitment to the idea, their vision, level of energy, um, you know, how thoughtful they were on or um, what they were on managing their business, uh, general kind of uh, style of like managing a growing venture. And those things all lined up, uh, you know, with, with generally really strong and positive outcomes. Um, the second thing I would say is like all the ventures, I think, had a clear perspective of their product. And maybe that's, that's a, that's a um, sort of a, a, a related to, you know, when I got involved with these ventures. But basically, you know, they all had a clear sense of the problem that they're trying to solve for the customer and how they're going to, you know, deliver a solution um, to that problem. And they'd actually been in market with something that was somewhat working. And by working, meaning it had reasonably good traction. So, yeah, so those things, team traction, and then longer term, I mean, th- this varied and, and it was, it, it's related to, you know, exactly how well the companies did. Uh, the more they had this figured out, the better they did over time. Um, most of the founders that I met with that, that had done really well or have done really well, they had a perspective of how they were going to scale the business. And it was beyond just like, oh, you know, how we're going to get to our first 10 customers, how we're going to get to our first 20 customers or users or whatever their metric was. It had to do with, you know, they, have a cl- they had a clear vision of what was happening in their industry and what, what it was that they were going to do that was different, that was going to make them win, regardless of what anyone else was doing. And I think those were, that type of insight or perspective into a business takes a while to develop and figure out. But it was something that I noticed the founders that I, I, you know, had note were extra successful um, had kind of clear sense of earlier on. So, so at a high level, right? It's it's um you look at right the the MRR or the ARR, right? And and then the team and the product. Yeah, and you know that's a, that's a good point. I think you know revenue is definitely an indication of traction. But sometimes it doesn't have to be. So, so in my experience, actually, I found um, usage to be actually a very, very important factor. And, you know, sometimes you have companies and business models that have, you know, high level of usage and they just haven't gotten to the step where they figure out how they're going to, you know, monetize this or what exactly they're going to charge a customer. And so that's actually a good situation, right? Because it's, it's harder to almost get somebody to really use a product on a day-to-day basis that sometimes it is to just get somebody to pay for it and then they got to put it on the shelf. So, um, so yeah, so I'd say ARR plus, you know, like the actual day-to-day kind of daily engagement or whatever metric makes sense for that specific product. So Schumann, to, to kind of step back a bit at a higher level, right? Uh, what are some major venture capital trends you are seeing across the globe and in the valley when it kind of comes to to early stage investing yeah that's actually you know a, a very big question <laughs> and when you when you know when we talked about this ahead of time i was i've been thinking about this one for a while I, you know we're like in a very unique environment right now um i mean if you think about what's happening in the world you know obviously we talked about covid in the beginning um, we talked about, you know, the massive sort of boom we're seeing in the equity markets. Um, it's just, it, you know, it's, 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 I hate to use this word, but it's kind of like a strange environment. Um, it's not, uh, there's a lot of extremes and, you know, and we're all sort of 
trying to do our day-to-day in this kind of environment where, you know, there's a lot of variability or volatility. So I would kind of frame my answer uh, from that perspective, right? Um, And the reason I said that is, is we're not in the same kind of environment that, you know, maybe we were like five years ago, right? Or, you know, like this is different than 2008, you know, when we had a big uh, sort of recession. So it's, you know, given the unique environment that we're in, I'm actually seeing that there's a lot, a lot of interest um, in, uh, in venture capital. And uh, which has kind of struck me a little bit because in other times, like I was actually in the Valley in 2001, there was like a big, obviously like a big crash post the dot-com bubble. And like 2009, when a lot of people started leaving California, you, you know, you always saw kind of a, a little bit of, sort of the air come out of this whole thing and people get a little bit pessimistic and, and uh, wanting to get less involved. And actually what's surprising about this, this whole situation today is it's actually the opposite. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of things and a lot of people around the world that, you know, are struggling companies that are struggling, but tech has just continued to just plug away. And obviously there's kind of winners and losers in tech and, and so some companies are doing super, super well, and the other ones are kind of trying to adjust and figure out. But this engine that is driven by kind of this underlying sort of growth or, you know, productivity that tech enables is not really stopped. So I would see that, I would say that, you know, venture capital or the interest for people to continue to make investments, it's pretty, pretty strong, very high. Um, and I would say that the level of interest in sort of people to enter this, uh, the space as an investor is really high. So for example, emerging managers like myself, um, you know, we think there's a big pool of capital that's out there that needs to, that wants to get the types of opportunities that we're seeing, uh, kind of the returns of, you know, like the Twitters, the slacks of the world where, you know, like $25,000 early on would have been like $40 million returned. So, uh, so yeah, so I would say that, you know, I think we're, we're in a, we're in a dynamic environment where, um, there's a lot of interest in innovation and, uh, but that interest in innovation is actually, you know, being very carefully, uh, sort of filtered and judged, um, so that people are getting into like opportunities that they really think are going to be successful in the long term. Um, so yeah, some, some of the trends that, some of the things I'm seeing is obviously if you're a large fund, like the brands, you know, the blue chip brands of the world, you know, uh, Sequoia and, you know, all the, all the names that we know, um, I mean, those guys are tending to invest in sort of companies that are probably a little bit kind of more developed. I think the appetite for taking kind of like super risky early stuff at the A seems to be, you know, a little bit uh, less than before. Uh, but at the same time, you now have all these like smaller mid-sized funds that are coming in and are doing interesting deals in the seed stage, et cetera. So, so yeah, so from my perspective, I think, you know, people are adjusting to this world of, uh, you know, Zoom meetings, et cetera, and trying to do, trying to sort of move forward in a business unusual capacity. Mm-hmm. And uh, but trying to sort of find who are going to be the winners and back the winners that are able to adjust um, in this kind of environment. Yeah, I have to say the the trends are a bit interesting, right? You're seeing a lot of uh, VC funds that are now right investing 
you know, via Zoom and just investing based off a Zoom call, right? And and what is your perspective on kind of losing that human touch, you know, human to human interaction? Yeah, you know, I think it's tough. I think, um, you know, I've been I've been doing a lot of stuff over Zoom and, uh, you know, when when you have clear metrics that you look for in a company and you can call a customer and, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can do remotely to sort of evaluate earlier stage opportunities. But I think when the check sizes start getting bigger, like potentially like the traditional series A and B, I think you start losing some degree of information by not able to engage with the team in person. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily focused on that stage. I would obviously defer to, you know, individuals who are investing at the series A uh, a lot to ask them, you know, how they think about their decision before and what they think about their decision now. But through the grapevine, I do think that, you know, there's a lot to be learned when you can walk into somebody's office, you know, meet the founder, see, you know, how they're running the business, see how the team operates within that environment, have a face-to-face discussion with them. I think that that adds a bit of information that, you know, you, you still, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you require. So for me personally, I've, you know, I found myself do a lot of stuff over Zoom, but then, you know, if the other person's willing to and the opportunity arises, obviously all at a distance, I'm, uh, you know, meeting them, uh, trying to at least be able to, you know, uh, connect with them in person for the, for the final closing, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And I, you know, I don't necessarily think that the world is going to move to only zoom. You know, I think people are still going to want to meet with person and spend the time, uh, meet with other people and spend, spend the time. And, um, when it kind of comes to specifically focusing on financing rounds, right? When investing in startups, you kind of focus on safes, convertible notes, or, or some sort of equity investment. Uh, what are the financing rounds you see in the industry today? And what have you kind of typically done? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think this, um, you know, I'll, I'll speak directly in terms of the stage that I'm focused on, which is kind of pre-seed and seed stage companies. So my, you know, what I've generally found is that the, the pre-seed companies that are still, you know, maybe not 100% sure about all of the runway that they'll need to have to get to the next milestone, um, they're usually raising money on safes. And, and that's actually part of, you know, it's, it, it comes from the fact that a lot of these actually are like Y Combinator <laughs> type companies anyways, right? So I think for the pre-seed, it's definitely been safes. And then you know, as the companies get a little bit further along, then I'm actually, especially in this environment, I've actually been seeing a lot more um, the sort of priced rounds. So I think investors, you know, knowing that a company has some traction, having visibility into whatever, uh, you know, ARR they have, uh, maybe it's backed by an institutional investor that's putting anywhere north of two million, three million, maybe four. Um, they actually prefer this kind of like priced equity to actually value the business. And they like to have kind of those shares that are going um, in their name. So I think both, both, both of those things make hundred percent sense to me. Um, I think in this environment early on, obviously you want to raise money, you need money to survive, you need money to grow. So at the pre-seed stage, it kind of makes sense for individuals to, you know, give preferences to some of their early investors, maybe give, discounts to the next round or, um, you know, a cap on the, on a safe note, as an example, to give, 
some level of reward for people who have taken earlier in the uh, the the risk earlier in the in the in the venture. But I think over time, you know, you want to be careful, especially the early stages, to not limit yourself because there's a lot of things that you don't know in the business. Um, and then these price rounds, you know, at the later stage, you know, make a lot of sense. The other investors want to guarantee their influence in the business moving forward. Um, they have, you know, their fund thesis based on the amount of capital they want to deploy in a company, you know, has a specific amount of uh, ownership that they want to attain. So, yeah, so those two models have been basically everything that I've seen since the beginning of 2020. Um, and the the trajectory that I've sort of before this whole, you know, the 2020 situation happened, I think I, I was hearing a lot more people try to push safes at a later stage, <laughs> try because there was, you know, the belief that there was plenty of capital around. Um, but I think now that's definitely changed and we're sort of shifting to more kind of discipline around like pricing, definitely seed and seed onward. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of been the, the two structures that I'm familiar with and are definitely, I'd say the preferred models based on where you are with the business. So Schumann, other than financing rounds, there are a lot of other interesting forms of uh, investing. And there are a lot of up and coming forms such as around family offices and many of those are kind of now moving into VC investments as an alternative way of investing into another asset or acting as a fund of funds. What is so interesting about what FOs are doing and how do you see them playing a role in, in the bigger VC space? Yeah. And, and to clarify FOs, you're talking about family offices, right? So you're um, acronym. Yes, for, correct. Okay, got it. Yeah. Just to, so, yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. I think, um, this is probably something that has emerged with um, kind of the mainstream adoption of venture capital, right? So just to go back to kind of my story, right? Like when I moved here in the late 90s, I think if you were in Silicon Valley, you grew up here or you went to Stanford or Berkeley or one of the schools here, you sort of were pretty familiar with the venture capital model. Right, you, you Kleiner Perkins, Sandhill Road, you know who they were, right? And and what's happened over the last twenty years, right? That sort of kind of industry that was predominantly Sand Hill and a bit of Boston has massively grown, right? And now it's become a little bit more mainstream. People know about venture capital. It's not like your typical, you know, uh, list of suspects of endowments, et cetera. That's in you know these few venture capital firms. I think more and more people have realized that there's really good returns that one can attain over time that are uncorrelated and they want to basically go after this asset class. So I think that's kind of what's happened. And, um, and so, you know, you had kind of this uh, sort of massive growth of, you know, venture funds and not just in the U S but globally and more important people have gotten aware of, um, you know, what the gains are and, and, also the type of work it is, right? It's interesting to find these like breakthrough ideas that could be like the next Tesla or whatever and get them, get them, get in the ground floor with them, et cetera. But then I think what's happened on top of that is you've obviously had all of this, like, you know, you know, massive, like trillions of dollars of family office money that has been, you know, gradually growing and, and, you know, assets that are available to invest. So I think a lot of the family offices, as just, you know, wealthy individuals or groups of individuals that have realized that they have, you know, capital to put to work that maybe some of it is already passively being invested 
in some venture funds that they know, but that is not necessarily, you know, meeting all of their needs, right? And, and not in an, any kind of negative way, but, you know, basically maybe they're stumbling into other opportunities. They're, you know, well-connected in the entrepreneurial environment and they see opportunities to play. And, um, and instead of just sort of like punting from those things of like, hey, you know, I'm already in a venture fund. I don't need to invest in this. I think they're considering the option, right? And I think that's what's uh, sort of been happening, at least with the, the groups that I'm engaged with and I see. I think they're interested in sort of, you know, emerging managers, ideas that are a little bit like off of what they normally are just typically seeing. And they, you know, they have the resources, they have the sophistication to participate, to get more involved, and they see tons of returns that that can come from sort of uh, participating. So I think that's that's probably the trend that's happening with family offices. Um, what happens though, it's it's over time, you know, like the more involved the family office gets, either they'll have to end up kind of running like a fund themselves, or they'll have so many other things going on that they're just not going to be able to, you know, sort of spend the same amount of time on one thesis as they were with another, right? You kind of have to like specialize or something. So I don't think they're in any way, you know, replacing or being an alternative to the traditional venture capital model. I think what's, what's happening is they're becoming a strong complement, And I think it's great for innovation. It's great for the industry. Uh, I think it just provides entrepreneurs another uh, sort of contact, another resource, another backer to approach as they look to start the business. And, you know, those backers might have slightly different perspectives from a venture fund that, depending on where you are, might be better suited for, uh, you know, what you're trying to do, right? So, um, you know, family offices sometimes have longer time horizons, they have related businesses. And so, yeah, so I think it's all positive. And, um, and I, in the, in the way that, you know, in terms of the role that they can play. I mean, I think venture funds and the great venture funds are going to always be there. Um, there's always going to be new ones. There's going to be the next up and coming player. There's going to be sort of, you know, uh, changes and kind of like the top 10 It's just like what's always been happening over time. And so I think, um, you know, that's going to continue to happen. I think where family offices will come in is that they'll have sort of more, involvement in that right so then they can start to you know maybe they'll be backing different funds or they'll be involved in companies earlier stages and and you know when you're talking about family office there's a lot i mean you're talking about like trillions and trillions of dollars of assets so it's you know it's really hard to categorize into one thing but that's actually the opportunity i think there's going to be plenty of sort of money and pools of capital that entrepreneurs that eventually will sort of go back to the traditional sort of vc path or route um, will be able to play into. Last comment I want to make on that is I think, it, you know, the role of family offices and what, how they can play, it depends on stage, right? So a later stage family office investor has a different potential profile and has to work with a different group of invest investors or individuals than a family office that's more interested in smaller checks, you know, at the earlier stages and potentially, you know, taking on a little bit of less capital risk. So there's, Things like that that I, I superimpose on top of, um, you know, uh, the, just the question of like family offices and venture capital, because, you know, venture capital has got a lot of different investment pieces, fund sizes, you know, uh, 
investment styles. And so I think the opportunity for family offices that they can, depending on who they are, they can decide to pick and choose exactly how they want to participate. Right, that's a, that's a good point and good perspective that that, that you uh, brought up there. Um, now, you know, we spent this whole call talking about uh, venture capital and, and venture capital trends in the industry. And I want to really spend these last two questions talking about uh, life and career advice. Um, so how did you think about your career choices in life? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I always like to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think the world's changed quite a bit. So I think, um, you know, when I, I think just as an individual, I think everyone goes to different inflection points. One inflection point where you really start to think about your career long-term is like when you're finishing college, right? Uh, sometimes that happens for people a little bit later. Maybe it's after you live grad school or you, know, you have your first job and then you start thinking about it. But for me, it happened when I, you know, finished college and you know, at the time, this whole kind of technology, venture capital, Silicon Valley thing was very much a geographically constrained trend, right? It's if you wanted to do Silicon Valley stuff, you should move out of here, right? And you should get involved, you know, drink the culture, really understand what's happening. And that was kind of the way to to be exposed. Um, and I think that's actually changed now. So I would say Silicon, that whole kind of idea of Silicon Valley now has become more global, right? So I think uh, that culture, you know, if you want to say constrained before to 100 miles within the Bay Area, right, I think is now expanded globally, right? And there's pockets of that sort of all over the world. So I think, you know, I think my, my advice and kind of, you know, just general career advice to people is like really, you know, don't kind of get rid of like your preconceptions of, sort of what you think like works and who you need it to be in order for it to work, right? I feel like the world, you know, is in a massive transition and in a in mostly positive way. And, you know, the, the, the types of opportunities that, you know, I'm assuming a lot of the individuals that listen to this podcast are interested in are actually more and more available like around the world. And so, you know, having that sort of clean slate perspective on, you know, learning from, you know, other people's successes, right? Like some, you know, reasonably successful person, you know, there are people who are like super, super successful, right? And all those things can be, you know, good uh, sort of inputs to you, right? As, as, as you're looking to develop your career. So like take all those, take all of that information, but they realize that like, you know, the world is different. I think there's more opportunities that are available close to wherever you are. And, um, and, and then you carve out your own sort of path in life. And it doesn't necessarily have to follow kind of these, these templates, right? That sometimes, you know, a lot of people feel like, hey, you know, this is the template that somebody needs to have to do this. And, you know, if I don't do this by this time, then, you know, I'm not going to, you know, and I think, you know, obviously there are, paths that have been shown to work, but I think be open to um, just like seeing what's out there, seeing what's different and like being, you know, understanding how you can leverage that uh, to get where you want. Right. And, uh, and I think that's a huge opportunity uh, for anyone that's, uh, you know, starting out their career or starting out a business. It's like, you don't necessarily have to replicate 
what you've seen work for others, right? You just have to understand that those elements are now more broadly available and you can sort of harness them in your own way. So I know you alluded to this a bit, but um, what piece of advice would you kind of give to our listeners out there from, from the journey you've had, you know, thus far in life? Yeah. I mean, um, I think, uh, you know, be, uh, I'd say there's like three things super tactical. Cause a lot of times when you, you give people advice, they're like, okay, great. And like, how do, what do I take away from that? Um, I think there's a couple of things that I've learned, um, that I, regardless of what you, what you choose to do, um, or what you're doing in life can, I think can be helpful. So one is, um, you know, always be curious. I think, um, uh, curiosity leads you to ask questions and asking questions leads you to kind of look at the world differently and figure out sort of what are opportunities. And that's actually a great source of ideas. That's the source of entrepreneurship. And eventually that creates a lot of like progress um, and, and growth for yourself and others around you. So I think that's one curiosity Um, Two, it's uh, you know, your success in life is largely based on, other people. So like relationships and, and being really like conscious about the relationships you're creating in the long term, I think are really, really important. So, um, you know, it's, I've always looked at people I meet as people that I would hopefully, you know, not keep in touch with, you know, obviously we, we have a finite amount of time, but I think that sort of view on life helps you learn from people, helps you kind of, um, break you know any any sort of mental boundaries you have in your mind about what's working what's not working and it and it and it helps you sort of live in a way that uh makes kind of the future a little bit more realizable right so um cuz you're you're working with people that are sort of aligned with the way you work so i think that's that's two and then the third is i think um you know i'm a b- big believer that uh you know, it's, it's not about the results, but it's like how you achieve those results. Uh, so I think kind of uh, um, not the ends, but the means uh, and to focus on those. And, you know, as the world, you know, as, as we, you know, as we're, we have to maneuver through all these things, right. So like, you know, my fund is focused on AI and automation and, you know, the next generation is having going to have to think about that. There's going to be things that you think you're going to do and they're going to be kind of be irrelevant. I mean, this stuff that we're starting to think about all the time. Um, I think you, you really need to sort of focus on just how you're approaching sort of solving problems, you know, how you're doing them in an ethical way with the idea that, Hey, you know, you've sort of figured out an approach that's, reliable that you can repeat over and over again and that itself you sort of have to trust that'll get you right right and i think um kind of the previous mindset i think even in in my career path i've been fortunate to have less of that uh but probably you know parents generation grandparents generation they probably face more of that where you know a lot of things were excused just because you know it achieved a certain result i think that type of mindset is is very short-lived and, um, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to be juggling a world where we're going to have to make a lot of trade-offs, you know, economic, um, you know, benefits and repercussions being one of them. So I think sort of really having a focus on, you know, how you're trying to accomplish the things you want to accomplish is going to serve you, you know, well in life, regardless of what you want to do. 
And especially if you choose to do this kind of, you know, this track that's entrepreneurship, technology, you know, trying to be a geek in Silicon Valley to use your podcast name. I think that type of mindset, I think, is is really going to help you figure out the things that are going to be, you know, really the, the next big thing or the big idea. And and Schumann, for people who are interested in reaching out to you, what would be the best point of contact? Yeah, no, I think that's what's amazing about, uh, you know, the world we live in today. It's super easy. I'm literally like one click away, right? So uh, there's a few ways to get in touch with me. So I have uh, a Twitter handle, so you can you can look me up. Um, Schumann Talukdar, it's uh, S-T-S-W-W-W. Um, also, I'm on LinkedIn. So obviously, you're going to post this thing off your uh, off your LinkedIn feed, so you can look me up through that. And, um, and yeah, and you can also go to my website, which is uh, AISprouts.vc and uh, contact me through there. Schumann, it was a pleasure having you on Geeks of the Valley. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Gunal. Thanks for taking the time and, um, you know, best to you uh, for the rest of this year and moving forward.